0: Like I said earlier, we're in James 3, so if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn there to James chapter 3. That's where we'll be. If you've got your phones, you can pull them out there as well. And James 3. And I've already said we're talking about taming the tongue, and I have always had a tough time watching my words. When I was eight years old, Uh, I went to a private school in Mississippi and I was hanging out uh, on the playground and my friend said, hey, I bet you won't cuss. And so to prove to him that I would, I did at the early age of eight. And what does he do? He runs and tells the teacher, Benton just cussed on the playground. And at the school that I was at, The principal paddles people. And so I was paddled for cussing on the playground. Some friend I had at age eight. I should have picked my friends a little differently. But then at age 12, we're living in Birmingham, and I am hanging out with this kid on the the street in front of our house, and he begins cussing. And so I'm thinking about my paddled past, and I'm like, okay, you can't do that, okay? He says, no, 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 you don't understand. Watch this. And he would cuss, and then he would pray. He said, God, please forgive me. And then he would say amen. And he goes, I'm alive, you're alive, it's okay. And coming from the private school, do you know what I said? I said, well, shall we sin so that grace may abound? I don't know, I don't know why I have a British accent when I said that. Been hanging out with Douglas a little too much. No, I didn't say that at all. I didn't say that. I didn't follow Romans and say, shall we just keep on sinning, keep on cussing so the grace may abound? No. I said, that's so cool. I can say whatever I want to say, and I'm still alive. As I've gotten older, I recognize that's not always the case. That, that 12-year-old, by the way, in Birmingham, uh, he lived up the street, and uh, he would... Uh, try to feed bobcats in his backyard and so just a tip of advice don't listen to someone that tries to feed bobcats in their backyard. Uh, I I learned a lot that you can't just say what you want to say or take advice from an (laughs) 8-year-old or a 12-year-old and so I got some education. I got a speech communication degree thinking I could figure out what to say and what not to say and when to say it and how to say it and who to say it to. But in 2010, I met Megan, my wife, and the first time I met her, it was a World Cup. US team was doing really well at that time. And I met her and my friend said, hey, this is Megan, she's rooting for Brazil. And I was thinking to myself, okay, you must be from Brazil. You, you must have gone to Brazil or like, you know, some, there has to be some kind of family tie to Brazil. And she says no. And I said, so you're from the United States? She said, yes. But you're not rooting for the US? She said, yes. And I said, how unpatriotic is that? (laughs) And I walked right by her. That was the first time I met her, was I said something really, really dumb. We get married, by God's grace, and when we get married, we go to this wedding And we're hanging out with someone who is an introvert. And as we begin hanging out with this other couple, the the wife who is uh, a bit more shy, she begins to open up. And I, in my mind, am thinking, I want to encourage her, you know? Like, I want to uplift her. I want to just say, uh, like, it's awesome that we're having an amazing conversation. It's great to get to know you more, or whatever. What I said was, she speaks. That's what I said. I was, I was... I was like, I said, you know, I like you so much more when you're talking. And then I realized I'm trying to save it. You know, once you say something, you're trying to catch it. You're like, what I meant to say was, and then I just kept just digging. I just kept on digging in and I apologized several, several times. But uh, there are times when we say stuff and no apology can wipe it away And, and on behalf of the extroverts, to the introverts in the room, we are sorry for many things that we have said. And that is not true of all introverts. There is power in what you say. I just want you to know that. But there is no apology that can wipe away what we say. And then there's other times where we're quiet and we wish we would have said something, and we're kicking ourselves because we're silent. And so the tendency that, we've, uh, the, that we feel is like, okay, how can we avoid the hard conversations? How can we avoid the things that we're supposed to say and not say? Well, the reality is we can't avoid it. I think we got some stats of us actually speaking and communicating. You spend one-fifth of your life talking, and you can look to your extroverted friend and say, you're a little bit more than one-fifth, you're a little bit more, You spend a 50-page, you write a 50-page document daily of the words that you say. And if you're curious, that is uh, 12-point font, Times New Roman, double-spaced. If you're curious, if you're like, what does that really mean? 50-page document daily. And now, it's probably more than that because we don't only talk with our tongues, we talk with our thumbs. Then you also have 18,250 pages per year 1.5 million pages roughly in a lifetime we say a lot of words maybe it doesn't come out of our mouth maybe it's in an email maybe it's in a text whatever we do say a lot of things and so we have to address it we can't avoid it and so let's look and see if we can figure out if it's not from the bobcat feeder, or the eight-year-old on the playground, or getting a degree, maybe James can give us an answer on what it looks like to tame the tongue, where we can say the right thing to the right person at the right time, and then there's times where we know we should be silent and not say anything at all. Maybe James can help us here. So James 3, verse 1, is where we begin. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that what uh, you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If you remember, in the very beginning of James one, this is to believers in Christ who have this Jewish background. They are the Jewish believers that James is addressing. And in the Jewish faith, if you can recall in the Old Testament, the teachers were these high people of honor. And so there's these other people who are not called to be teachers who are trying to get honor, who are trying to get glory. And he's like, hey, if you want to go down that road, you'll be judged with greater strictness. Not only does he say that, but then he says this at the very end, that they're able to bridle the whole body. If you can tame the tongue, you can bridle the whole body. And then the next verse, he says this, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole body as well. And so it's, if you can tame the tongue, you can actually tame the whole body. Uh, Douglas actually gave a sermon here a few years ago out of Zephaniah. Check it out. It's also talking about the tongue, and he goes a little bit more in detail on this. So check it out. It's on the podcast, uh, and, and get more Uh, info there on this section but there is a reality here that is really crucial when it comes to taming the tongue or watching our words and it's this it's point number one if you like to take notes it's that words affect the whole or words affect the whole body if you're struggling with something in your life start with your tongue is what he is saying start with your words if, if you can get your tongue under control, then you yourself can have self-control. And one of the things, if you look at different texts in scripture, it says that at the end of the days, one of the key things is a lack of self-control. It's not the forbidden fruit, but it is the forgotten fruit when it comes to the fruits of the Holy Spirit. It's this is, Camp taught me this, so I may sing song this a little bit, but it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Hey, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's how I remember it. Oh, thank you. That, I, I didn't want the, yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. But it's at the very end, and we can remember love and joy, and let's be kind to each other. But self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so if we want to live into the fruits of the Holy Spirit, we need self-control. And what James is saying is, hey, if you can get your tongue tamed, then you can tame the whole body. If you can get control of what you say, then you can begin moving in self-control. Words affect our whole body. And so if that is a key to self-control or maturity or wisdom, is mastering the tongue, then, and if you, if you feel this way, if you wanna be somebody that people trust, then tame the tongue because then there's other qualities attached to that. And so how can we find that person? How can we be that mature person? How can we be that self-controlled person? How can we be that wise person? What does it actually look like? Well, James, through this whole book, has been talking about speaking and not speaking. Matter of fact, he has 20 references, not in James 3, about talking. And he is actually giving them kind of a guideline to be a follower of Christ. 20 things. We're gonna have them up on the screen here. I'm not gonna go through all of them. But he's asking them this. Do you ask God for wisdom? James 1, verse 5. Do you boast only in Jesus in his exaltation and his humiliation? 1, 9 through 10. And he goes Throughout all of these, and there's a scripture references for them, and we're going to go and scroll through them rather quickly here, there's more where he talks about speaking and boasting and then resisting to speak or speaking evil against someone else. Keep going. You see that he's got more about boasting and speaking and grumbling and being someone with integrity, looking to God for certain things, singing praises, confessing, praying, speaking restoration when someone else is wandering speaking i believe that th- they will change i believe that something will happen he has 20 references of speaking in james and so what i want to do right now is rick if we could just have these scrolling and if you want if, if you if This is what I do, if you are hard of seeing and maybe you can't see this well, take a picture of it as it pops up and maybe you can zoom in or just look at it as it goes. But what I want you to do is look at something that stands out to you and say this is the one area, if I'm gonna increase in wisdom and maturity and taming my tongue, what is one thing that is sticking out to me that maybe I need to address in my life? And so we're going to have these scroll and if you came here with someone, I would love for you to share that right now with the person you're with. If you came here by yourself, you can just write notes or you can text somebody if you want and say, "Hey, I want to work on this. This is something of a guideline as a follower of Jesus of things that I need to do or maybe something I need to resist when it comes to speaking." And so these are going to keep moving, but right now, let's take about 30 seconds to a minute and just share which one sticks out to you and maybe why. So I'll I'll, I'll give you some time right now. You got a minute to chat with the person next to you or you can text somebody or take some notes uh, right now and share one thing that sticks out to you from these 20 references. And the question I want us to ask is if if we are to live into these 20 things, and this is a way of maturity and taming the tongue so we can tame the whole body and have self-control, What happens if we don't do these 20 things that's being asked of us? What happens if we falter on just one of them? Now, I'm not gonna go around the room here like you would on a wedding day, and like, who's been married five years? Who's been married 10 years? I'm not gonna be like, who's got all 20? Who's got 19? You know, we're not not gonna do that. But what happens when we falter on one of those things? Well, this is what he says. Let's go back to scripture in, in James 3, Verse six, let's start there, or the end of verse five. It says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. It is a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting it on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. That is fun. Fun, James, that is real fun. If we falter on one of those things, he's saying it is like a wildfire. Point number two, if you're taking notes, is an Abraham Heschel quote, words create worlds. And so if we speak a bad world, I mean, excuse me, if we speak a bad word, then there might be a bad world that is created. My, my son Judah told me that he hated me, and there was a world that was created in my brain and uh, out in the future. I started thinking, what did I do? What did I say? Should I not taken this thing away from him? What podcast should I be listening to right now? What book should I be reading? Who should I talk to? What do I say next time he says the word hate out of his four-year-old emotions? when he, I don't even know if he fully understands what that word means. But this world has now been created for me based on one word that he has said to me. I'm now thinking about all these things and how I respond, how I react. Should I even be talking about parenting at all? Am I even good enough to be a parent? There's all of these worlds that get created from maybe just one word. It's the same is true of a better word. If we speak a better word, then there's a better world. But we have to understand That if we miss out on some of these things James is calling us into, he's saying it is like a wild fire. This tongue is a fire. It's a world of unrighteousness. It actually sets your whole course of life on fire set by hell itself. It's like, wow, that is strong, strong language from James. James. But before we get into verse 7, I, I kind of want to just talk about where we've been up to this point. And, and, and this is James's argument here to these believers. I, I'm gonna just call this the, the mountain of impossibility that is being built up in front of these people. He's like, oh, you wanna be a teacher? You wanna, you wanna be glorified and honored in this town? Okay. Well, here is this, here are these things for you. Here's here is 20 things. If you wanna be a teacher, you're judged by greater strictness. You gotta watch everything you say, because if not, you're gonna set, set things on fire. Your whole life will be messed up. Not only will you create a bad world by maybe one word, but what you say affects your own body, and so he's just creating this, what feels like a mountain of impossibilities. You wanna be a teacher? Good luck. even says this, the one who can tame their tongue is a perfect person. So if you want to be a a perfect person with your tongue, do those 20 things perfectly. And guess what? Don't ever speak a bad word, because you create a bad world. Make sure you say a better word to create that better world. And what he's really doing, if we remember James 1 and 2 and now 3, this is even continuing on the mountain. He, in James 1 and 2, he's like, hey, you guys aren't doing the right things, but not only are you not doing the right things, but James 3 is like, you don't, you're not even saying the right things. And at the end of James 3, verses 11 and 12, he says, hey, and what you're saying doesn't match what you're doing. What you're doing doesn't match what you're saying. He is creating what feels like this mountain of impossibility. But then he Let's the air out a little bit in the next verse. So let's read verses seven and eight. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. That's an echo from Genesis one. Here it is, verse eight. But no human being can tame the tongue, it is a restless, evil, full of deadly poison. So he is saying here, hey, here's this mountain. If you want to do this and you want to try to live out this way by your own human nature, I just want to show you that is impossible. It is impossible for human beings, human nature, to tame the tongue. And then he goes into verses 9 through 12 where he talks about what we say and what we do does not match up. Verse 9 he says, with it we bless the Lord and Father and with it we curse people who are made in his likeness. So we bless the Lord and we curse the ones around us. And I think it's a genuine blessing. I had to look at this, and I think it's a genuine blessing. Like You genuinely are blessing the Lord with your tongue. But then you're cursing people who may look like, or who are made in the image of God. And I think this is a point that he's getting at here, and then I think there's a response that we all need to grab onto at the very end here. But the point I think he's getting at with this, who they are believers in Christ he, and so they do, we've talked about this with James, have the word of God within them. But the question is, does God have your words? You have the word of God within you but does God have your words? We, we talk about this, we've been talking about this, is the word of God is in us but then when we speak, Does God have our words? Are we asking God, what do you want me to say? There's so many times I ask these questions, and I think Ben's hit on these too, of, okay, what is God saying here? What's sticking out on these 20 things that the Holy Spirit wants to highlight to me? And then what am I supposed to do about it? I always think doing equates with like, I need to write my journal more, I need to read more, I need to spend some alone time, I need to, it doesn't have to do with what I say. And so what I want us to get to is saying, okay, God, what are you saying? And then, God, what do you want me to say? Take my words, have my words. You're the one who wants to speak a better word. Will you take my words? And so now we're at this, kind of impasse of this mountain of impossibility that we're, we're looking at here, that James has created. And for some of us, this is the way that I respond to this passage a lot of times, is, is cold, callous, and uncaring. Because I look at this passage and I'm like, there's no way I can do this, so why even try? I turn into the 12-year-old, On the street, and I say, (laughs) I'm going to keep sinning so that grace can keep abounding, I guess. (laughs) But I have a cold, callous response to James 3 where I'm like, this is impossible. He even said, human beings can't do this. And so why even try working on my tongue? Why even try watching what I say? I talk so much anyway. Probably more than one-fifth of my life is spent talking. So why even try to work on it? Why even try, that is one of my responses. But there's another response that James is issuing to these believers that I think that they are stepping into. And it goes back to Isaiah. Now, he has been referencing Isaiah a lot here. He did it in in James 2, I think it was Isaiah 40, and then You look at James 1, and he's referencing Isaiah 1, and we talked about that just a few weeks ago. Well, I think there's another response here that we can have that is more a convicting response instead of a cold and callous response. It says this, Isaiah 6-5. This is the response he's calling them into. He's saying, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. We look at this mountain of impossibility and we we can either say, that's too hard, and wow, James is saying a lot here, I'm just gonna go my own way, or we can look at it and say, woe to me, I am a man of unclean lips. I, I can't even do one of those 20 things that he's referencing. And then he says this, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. That's the convicting response as we say, woe to me, I am a man of unclean lips. But here is the caveat to the end of this passage. It says this, and if we miss this, we miss James 3 altogether. If we miss this, we're gonna think we've gotta go climb this mountain on our own. It says this, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts, and so what I want us to do is to recognize this reality in light of Christ. There's the, here's the current circumstance, here's the mountain, now here's a convicting response, and now let's look at Christ. Isaiah, as some of you know this passage, we've got it, Isaiah 53, verse 7, when it talks about the suffering servant, Jesus it says that he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. When I get afflicted, when I get mad at what someone just says at me, I lash out like crazy in impatience and in anger and frustration. But Jesus did not open his mouth. He's like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that has gone before his shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Jesus is being highlighted here as not just an example that we look at and be like, okay, gotta be like Jesus, here we go. I gotta be silent at the right time. I gotta be silent when someone's hurting me. No, this is what it's saying we're saying here that Jesus is not just your example, he is your Savior. That he is not just your example, but he is your substitute. We were singing this song about the faithfulness of God. It's when we've been faithless, he's still faithful. When we have been afflicted and screw up and say something we shouldn't say, we try to catch it and say, oh, I should've kept silent. He stayed silent, and if you think about it in John 19, when he goes to the cross, he's been beaten, he's been bruised, he's sitting up on the cross and he is worn out. I mean, I can't even give it the right kind of words to say about what Jesus was like on the cross. He actually spoke and he said, one of the boldest claims he could ever say, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. He spoke at the right time. With all of the weight of sin and shame on his shoulders, he spoke when I would have just run away. I think about Peter when he's hanging outside just at a distance, when Jesus is being beaten after he's been taken in the garden. And I want you to go back and look at this passage, it is fascinating. And he denies following Jesus three times. He says, I am not, I am not, I am not. But if you look at the passage throughout it all, Jesus is saying, where is this Jesus? He goes, I am he, I am he, I am he. I will speak up. If Peter has been faithless, I will still be faithful to him. And so we see that he's not just an example, but he's our substitute. He's our savior. He's taken our place. And so when we look at this mountain of impossibility, it's not for us to climb. It's for us to get honest with ourselves and say, he's the perfect one, not us. This, this, this whole series has been about genuine faith. And this passage today is about faith speaking. And I think for us, we got to get to this place, if you're talking about James 3, 8, where it talks about human nature and flesh and in light of who Christ is. We gotta not let our flesh speak, but we've gotta let his faith speak in our place. We have got to broadcast not what we have done, but what he has done in our place. That he is the one who speaks for us and we follow his lead. We've gotta not let our flesh speak, but we gotta let his faith speak. And so if you're looking at genuine faith, it is only found in Jesus. The prayer team was praying earlier this morning about us being salt and light, but the reality is where that salt and light comes from is in him and him alone. And so we can't climb this mountain and try to be salty and be a bunch of light We have to look at him and say, no, our source of salt and light comes from you, and you were faithful to speak when you were supposed to speak, and you were silent when you were supposed to be silent, and so we look to you as not only just an example, but our savior from where we were under this pile of of impossibilities. You came to us, you rescued us, you saved us, you took our place, we should be on that cross, but he got on that cross, and he is the one that rose, so that we didn't have to feel that death anymore, and he saved us not only from death, but now he's given us a life. And in that, we look and we say, okay, human nature cannot tame the tongue, but in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit now with us. And if you remember Acts 2, what happens? In Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes, the wind blows, and the Holy Spirit fills the room, and they are given a new tongue. Human nature cannot tame the tongue, but the Holy Spirit can. <laughs> that is good news. Because I, I read James 3, and I'm like, okay, I can't do this. <laughs> and that's where you wanna be. (laughs) Woe to me, I am a man of unclean lips. I cannot tame my own tongue, but the Holy Spirit can tame it, the Holy Spirit can transform it, the Holy Spirit can speak on your behalf. And so when we look at those 20 things, we're saying, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to work on? What do you want me to grow in? And it is a journey with him in taming the tongue. It's not gonna be this quick fix. We're not gonna just arrive. The beauty of it is that it is a process in seeing our mouths transformed by the Holy Spirit, that we can speak a better word because of his faith, not our faith. We've been faithless, but because of his faith, we can speak a better word. We can create a better world. We can have our bodies renewed by what we say because of the Holy Spirit. And so what I want us to do is to move into a time of response. Band, you can go ahead and come on up. We have different ways that we respond here at Grace Marietta to this great reality of who Christ is. That when we look to him, we see him, and we say like it does in Hebrews, he is the author and perfecter of our faith. I'm not the perfecter of my own faith. He is the one. It is his faithfulness that can begin to walk us through and transform us and make us this new creation that he's called us into. And so we look at him now, whether it be taking communion, where we say, your body was broken, your blood was poured out. Thank you for your faithfulness to be our substitute, our savior, our king, our example, the one that walks with us, We were like Peter who said, I am not, I am not. When it gets tough, I'm good. He says, no, I'll go and I'll take it for you. Just trust in me. Just trust in my sacrifice. That this perfect, spotless lamb is the one who speaks the better word and that when we trust in him and we follow him, we get to taste that renewal as well. Another way that we respond is we have these cushions right up here if you want to kneel down, and maybe it's a a woe-to-me moment for you. Maybe it's a, hey, I really screwed this up in what I said, or maybe I should have said. But that as you come, that you too would encounter the living God who looks at you and says, hey, we could still speak a better word. I will walk with you. I'm here to meet with you. My grace is sufficient for you. It's not too late. Don't come up here and just beat yourself up. I've taken the beating so that you can have the victory. We're gonna have prayer teams available as well. If you're trying to discern something, maybe one of those 20 things stuck out to you and you're like, I just wanna work on this. I wanna have this hard conversation that I've been avoiding and I recognize I can't avoid it anymore. Would you come receive prayer? Maybe there's something within you of guilt or shame. James 5, we actually saw it up on the screen that if we confess to one another, we may be healed in the Holy Spirit. And so there's those three ways to respond. I'm gonna pray for us, ask us to stand, and then you can move into one of those three areas. Let's pray. When we Look at our human nature, Lord. May we no longer see something that has fallen short, but by your Holy Spirit, may we begin to see someone who is being transformed. Lord, I pray against any guilt or shame or regret that people feel about something they said or didn't say. I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would just wash over them now. maybe for somebody here and keep your eyes closed it's fine i used to sing this song over my kids and i think it might be for someone here when it comes to hard relationships that you've been in the lord says whatever you do don't stop trying because learning makes lots of mistakes Whatever you do, don't give up on yourself because you are on a journey. There is a lot to learn. And if you've had hard relationships in the past, if you feel like you've screwed it up, just know that he is with you, he's drawn near to you, He's walking with you every step of the way. Every step. The hard ones, the high points, the difficulties, the confusion. He is with you every step of the way. And he is carrying you. When you feel like you can't go anymore, when you feel like you can't say anything else, let him speak for you. And for all of us, Lord, may you continually increase in our lives so that we can be a pure reflection of who you are. And may we live our lives like that Hebrews passage, that we look to you and we say you are the author and perfecter of our faith by your spirit you can tame our tongues you can transform it and you can renew us so that the course of our life doesn't end in a fire but it ends in the eternal hope that is found in you and it's in your name we pray amen